Commonwealth Stories speaks to people from a host of nations, from Africa to Asia, from North America to the Caribbean. You'll hear the stories and thoughts of people from all walks of life, all with one thing in common. They have all found a home in Birmingham. So what does the Commonwealth mean to us now? How has it shaped the Birmingham we know today? And what lasting legacy do we hope the games coming to the city of Birmingham will leave? The Commonwealth Stories podcast is available on all your favourite platforms. To keep up to date with the series and hear the latest episodes, make sure to follow and subscribe. In this episode, we'll be beginning to take a look at how the Commonwealth has impacted and shaped the Birmingham we know today. A city known for its vibrant cultures and diverse communities. You'll hear from senior lecturer and course leader for Black Studies at Birmingham City University, Tony Talbot. Birmingham and major cities and towns in Britain have certainly been very much interwoven into British colonial enterprise, slavery and industrialization. We'll also be speaking to five-time karate world champion and deputy chair of the Birmingham 2022 Commonwealth Games, Jeff Thompson. We cannot change the past, but we can learn from the past, we can improve from the past. As well as hearing from political economist, Dr. Steve McKay. I hope that some sort of really good investment comes out of it and helps to sort of to, you know, assist in Boeing's transition from the sort of the, the manufacturing city it once was. And there are plenty of really good, high quality jobs um, for the sort of the next generation. They'll be sharing their thoughts and insights into how the Commonwealth has shaped the Birmingham we know today and how the 2022 Games will shape the Birmingham of tomorrow. You'll also hear from Balti restaurant owner Zaf Hussain. Hear all about how Zaf's family brought the taste of Pakistan and India to Birmingham and how they went about creating a home away from home in the region. I think food has brought everyone closer, introducing ourselves to the rest of the UK. This is Commonwealth Stories by Birmingham Live. Tony Talbot is a senior lecturer in Black Studies at Birmingham City University, an expert in African and Caribbean history and politics, and Black British history. Having lived and taught in Jamaica, the UK and Ghana, the Commonwealth has been ever-present in Tony's life. Birmingham Live's Nathan Clark spoke with Tony at Birmingham City University, where he shared his thoughts about the Commonwealth and what the British Empire once was, and how its complex history is reflected in the Birmingham we know today. Firstly, would you mind telling me a bit about uh, your upbringing and your journey here to Birmingham? Well, first, I was born here in in a little place called West Bromwich. Uh, (laughs) Then as a child, my family... My parents went back to Jamaica. So we went as as kids back to Jamaica and I lived there for nearly 15 years. So you'll notice that my accent, even though I was born here, is not exactly very brummy in that sense. And that's possibly why, because I, I lived out of the country for 15 years, came back here in 1988 and have more or less lived here ever since. I have a great interest in African and Caribbean history and politics. And that's basically what I've been teaching and writing about for well over 20 years in different places. And I also have an interest in Black British history as well. And before coming to BCU, I was actually teaching at a university in Cape Coast. That's the University of Cape Coast. 
and I was teaching African and international studies. So that was, again, African history and politics. How do you think the Commonwealth has shaped the Birmingham we know today? Right. Now, that's an interesting question because I I don't think it's so much the Commonwealth in as how we're characterizing it now in terms of the, um, the, the Commonwealth Games. But I think if we think wide in terms of the British Empire, I would say that um, Birmingham and major cities and towns in Britain have certainly been very much interwoven into British colonial enterprise, slavery, and industrialization. So there is, there has, there, there clearly been links there between major cities. Okay, we'll deal with Birmingham because Birmingham's where we are, and colonialism and the slave trade. And that predates not the 1920s and the formal organization of the Commonwealth. So that's why I said about the the, the empire and and so on. Birmingham, for example, was a major city producing a number of products made from metals. Now, metals and chains were very important in terms of the slave trade in, on, in and around West Africa. So right there, there's a link between Birmingham, the, the, the slave trade, Africa, the Caribbean. So there's, a, there's, there's been that rich connection um, that colonial connection, that slavery connection, and that industry and empire connection, which in a sense, I think, predates the 1920s and this, this association of, 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 of British former emp- uh, colonies and dependencies and so on. So I think there's a, I would, I would see a difference between the British Empire, broadly defined, and the Commonwealth and the Commonwealth Games and, and so on. So I think the wider context is, is the British Empire, which clearly existed before the 20th century. And what we're now seeing is, if you like, um, it's almost an extension of that, with the focus being on the games and that kind of global coming together for the purposes of sports and, and games. That's, that's one very small aspect of this larger picture, which I think is probably, if we can still call it the British Empire or the British connection with overseas territories, colonies, countries, etc., which we're still seeing to this day. So I think Birmingham, just like uh, Liverpool, Bristol, uh, Glasgow, you know, they're they're very much connected in in pretty much the same way. Just that for this year, you know, at the moment, we're we're, we're excited and we're, we're kind of looking at the games. But of course, Birmingham's connection with with um, Britain predates the, the, this this organisation and the um, the idea of games, so to speak. Yeah. Today, do you feel like the Commonwealth as a sort of political entity is still relevant? Does it still have meaning here to people in Birmingham? I think if we weren't having the games and people weren't seeing uh, maybe busloads of people from different parts of the world going here, there and everywhere to take part in, in, in the games. And of course, it, it's, it's, this is a global thing. It's, it's all over. It's like people are watching what's, what's happening in Birmingham. I think, I don't think most people would be talking about the Commonwealth. I don't think if you go for those who go to, you know, the pub to have a drink and um, maybe at the beginning of the year or last year, they would have been talking about, you know, the Commonwealth Games. I don't think that's what people would be talking about. 
it's important in the sense that it's a global event and everybody's going to be tuning in on to Birmingham. So for the next you know few weeks, everyone, all eyes will be on Birmingham. All eyes are on Birmingham in that sense. But I don't think when people go home in the evenings, this is what they'll be talking about. So obviously, some will. You know, you're going to see spectacles on the TV and radio and what have you. But I think before and after, I'm not sure what people will be discussing. Maybe during the event, yes, but leading up to it and after, I'm not. I'm not so sure. It is, of course, a global spectacle. Um, to have fifty odd countries coming together, you know, that's that in itself is 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 big. But I'm not sure if that's the the, the, the kind of the, the number one topic on people's uh, agenda when they're sitting down having breakfast in the morning and so on. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned that if it wasn't for the Commonwealth Games, there wouldn't really be much conversation around the Commonwealth. I'd be interested to know when you were teaching abroad in different uh, Commonwealth countries, was it the same there? Is Commonwealth something which is discussed much? As a youngster growing up in Jamaica, the Commonwealth wasn't, it, 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 it's not a popular topic of discussion. Unless, in the case of Jamaica, they're athletes, because obviously Jamaica very prominent in terms of um, athletic sports and, and, and track and field. Now, people would more discuss their athletes performing in the events rather than the Commonwealth Games or, or even the Olympics for that matter. There might be discussions around the sporting achievements of the individuals at the Games rather than the significance or not, of the games themselves. I don't know if that makes sense. So the, the focus might be more on the sports people rather than the, the the context in which they're running. Birmingham is obviously a very multicultural, diverse city. And it seems like now is maybe a good time to reflect on the UK's relationship with the Commonwealth. Historically speaking, what's that looked like? Has it been a healthy relationship? Have there been divisions? With all civilizations, from what I can see, once you get people coming from different parts of the world into a, 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 a small space, you're always going to have some support and some um, resistance to that. And Britain is, in that sense, is, 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 not, is, is no exception to that rule. Black people coming into Britain met with resistance. So did Asian communities. So did the Jews. So, you know, it's, it's and even now with Eastern Europeans, you're getting, you know, people, are, there's still that element of resistance as well as acceptance. So in the case of Birmingham, I, I, I think culturally, Birmingham, like a bit like Leicester and maybe Bradford, some of these major cities in Britain, we, you, you can see cultural changes. If we were walking around here, as in Birmingham in the 1960s, going out to eat, I don't think many people would be going for a curry. And I don't think we would have been seeing many Caribbean uh, restaurants and, and outlets selling, uh, uh, offering Caribbean meals, um, that sort of thing. Even if you walk around Birmingham, when I'm listening to some of the, the music that is blaring out of people's cars, it's, it represents probably every cultural group and, uh, across the whole planet. So in that sense, Birmingham is like a, a melting pot. And I think since World War II, which kind of corresponds to the Commonwealth Games uh, era, we've seen an influx of uh, people from all over the world come to settle in Birmingham, Black, Asian peoples, coming to settle in Birmingham. And that's, I think, added to the, the rich cultural tapestry of what is Birmingham today. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't tensions because not everybody likes that. Some people just want um, the kind of homogenous, probably white 
cultural dominance and presence and nothing else. But that is not what we see in Birmingham, you, you know, so it's, it's, it's very mixed in that sense. And I think that's come about, not, I don't think that's nothing to do with the Commonwealth Games. That's, this it goes back to this thing about empire again, which predates the Commonwealth Games. Many people in the Caribbean, the British Caribbean, felt that Britain, that they were, they were British citizens. That's how many of them saw themselves until they came to settle in Britain. And then the reality hit them, oh, we, I mean, you know, they might have been saying in the 60s and 70s, we thought we were British citizens. You know, many of them thought not quite the same thing by the white uh, British citizens at the time. So today, Birmingham is very much mixed. There's a, a whole range of cultures. I don't think that's linked, though, to the, the Commonwealth Games. I think the Commonwealth Games highlights the extent to which Britain, if anything, went and probably poked its nose into other people's countries and affairs. And later on now, we see those same individuals almost wanting to come and poke their nose into Britain's affairs, and which is, which is what we're seeing now. And I think what the Games is doing is kind of highlighting the extent to which Britain was involved all over the world. Because the, the Commonwealth Games, if I'm not mistaken, it represents pretty much every continent on the globe there are, there, there, Britain was there, and, and there's somebody from some every, every, every continent, I think, is represented in the games. In the, so there is an element of cultural mixing and, 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 and all of that, and, and that, but I don't think it's because of the games. I'd say that's more because of the, the, the empire, British empire, which is much wider than, than the games. Should the people of Birmingham be excited by the Commonwealth Games? Do you see it bringing positives to the city? I think it can be, people can be excited. I mean, to an extent, I'll be excited because of all the games, I still like to see, um, I, I'm always looking forward to it with the Olympics. My highlight is always the last few days because of track and field. And I like to, I, I suppose that's, that's my, if of all the games, that would be my number one. I'm, I also like volleyball, as it turns out. I used to play volleyball, but I mean... So everyone will have their particular game. I, I suspect that there will be something there pretty much for everyone to dip into, dip out of. Am I excited by the games coming here? I suspect there is some excitement, but my life won't be changed as a result of it. I'll be dipping into the games. I'll be watching probably on TV or listening on the radio and all the rest of it. Um, and that will be my involvement. It, 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 it is good to see that Birmingham is actually hosting such an event. It's not gone to London, it's not gone to Manchester or some other place, it's, it's, it's right here in Birmingham. So in that sense, um, it will be good. And if I'm out and about, it might also be good to be seeing people from different parts of the world who might be lost in Birmingham, if I can be of any, you know, yeah, go down that road or that, that sort of thing. I'm not anti the games by any means. I think it's, it's good for people to come together. Um, and to celebrate in whatever way they can celebrate culturally. Well, in this case, it's sport. I think that's a good thing. There's nothing, I don't see anything wrong with that per se. I suspect that some Birmingham people will be very excited and, um, you know, looking forward to it. Yeah, but it's a bit like Christmas. What about the day after? What legacy do you think the Games will leave on Birmingham and its communities here? Not necessarily related to sport, but again, as part of the Commonwealth, if... Um, maybe young people in Birmingham could be offered scholarships. And it would be nice to think that out of these games, perhaps thousands of 
scholarships might be available for young people to go and study in other Commonwealth countries. Because the one thing that most of the Commonwealth countries have in common is that formally, most of them will, in terms of the formal language, they'll, they'll speak English. So it's not so much about a sporting legacy for me. I would be more interested, unless people are really into sports, but I would, I, that's where I would want to see a, a real legacy. Infrastructure, the buildings, yes, some sports, but also some education, because I suppose education is, is what I'm about. The Birmingham of today is a melting pot of communities from across the globe. Thousands of Commonwealth citizens have made Birmingham their home, bringing with them a sense of identity and culture. And food is one of the many important ways Brummies from the Commonwealth have built their home away from home. Birmingham is teeming with great eateries, from Caribbean canteens to African food halls. And of course, we can't mention Birmingham without curry houses, the Birmingham Balti and the famous Balti Triangle. Safa Sain runs a family-owned Balti restaurant in the heart of the Balti Triangle. The restaurant has been making traditional South Asian curries for over 30 years, bringing the taste of Pakistan and India to Birmingham. Anissa Vasta went to meet Zaf at his family restaurant, Shababs, on the bustling Ladypool Road. Zaf shares his family's story and tells us all about the importance of curry houses and the Birmingham Balti in our city story. Well, Shababs were long established, been here 35 years, so we're clearly doing something right, and it's the best place for a Birmingham authentic Balti. If you could just talk about kind of how this, how this curry house came about first, right at the beginning. 35 years ago, um, I was about 18 months old then, um, and that's when my older brother decided to go look for a job. Because um, he was quite in and out of jobs um, in, in restaurants, in curry houses. Um, so he was quite, you know, quite confused, if you know what I mean, um, like that, because he only came over when he was about 14 years old. So he didn't settle very well in school. Um, he must have started working when he was about 15 or 16. Um, so it he, he was quite, quite difficult for him. It's only when he went to this one restaurant and uh, he was told that he wasn't good enough um, for for the job, and he was like quite taken back by that because he could easily get jobs in in restaurants because he was experienced, even though he didn't stick at it. Um, but then this place um, came about for sale. Um, obviously, he didn't have the money, um, so that's when he went to well, went back home and uh, spoke to mom and dad. And dad was like, no, no way. You can't, st- you can't stick at a job for, you know, barely six months. And I'm not going to take, sort of take a gamble on you. Um, but obviously, mum was quite soft hearted. He managed to persuade mum around. Um, and that's where mum spoke to dad and said, look, come on, you know, we've got to support him. Let's just give it a punt. Let's give it a chance. Um, so uh, that's what happened. Dad remortgaged the house, borrowed some money off friends and family. Everything was going through the solicitors and he, he got the key and literally just turned it into shababs. Um, uh, it was a challenge, obviously, to begin with, um, because it's something new. He had no experience in business whatsoever. Um, but Dad, he was a fact, just a typical factory worker working at uh, Land Rover, Jaguar Land Rover, as we know it now. And Dad was helping him as well. Um, but obviously, Dad's doing twelve-hour shifts, 
and but obviously dad would support him as and when he could uh, but then the restaurant just took off um, you know there it was just a different culture back then he would open quite late through you know throughout the night till early hours of the morning um, there was a pub culture then and he just we just literally took off and uh, we never looked back in terms of what the scene looked like on this road because obviously this road has so many restaurants and it's so of different cultures you know every culture imaginable really turkish um lebanese and you know everything so what was the scene like at the time when shababs first opened um the story was very very different then shababs used to be an ice cream uh, shop before it became shababs any shop that became available turned into a restaurant because everyone thought it was quick easy money um they were crammed up next door to each other but and that's what made it the 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 bolty triangle um all the restaurants together and this is where they first sort of started off why was having a bolty so important for brummies thing was it was like a um, it became a culture um it was something new and it just became like a pub culture like part of going out because the pub culture was massive like literally people used to go to the pub after work every day that's just the way it was and we know about it because at 11:00 when pubs used to close that's when we used to get busy whether it was a monday night or a friday night you know it was equal it was the same story every night but then over the years uh, the pub culture did die out and the sort of business model changed as well uh, that's where we needed to change and you know make a difference and turn our business model around every sort of business person just wanted to jump on the bolty bandwagon and it just became popular literally overnight i want to move on to my next question which is about what it was like for your parents to kind of come to this country and and create settle down basically um so where did they come from so what's your what's the origin background and how did they find that experience from what from your perspective originally um it was just dad that came over uh 1963 um the plan was to just come over work for a couple of years and go back simple as that but then dad was here for about 2 or 3 years it's just when the government allowed the the, the workers to sort of call their spouses over that's when a lot of people thought okay yeah let's let's call our spouses over and we can still head back you know we'll just do another couple of years here So once the spouses came over then obviously children and things like that and then just people just became stuck um and settled as well. I mean I say stuck because uh, you know once you have children then they start schooling and things like that and you feel as if you can't get away get away. Um but for some people it was a new start. It was like a new life. My parents they they were here Obviously it was difficult. Um there was a language barrier. Mom was just a normal housewife. Um dad would go out to work in the factory. They would have they would have had some sort of racism, you know, towards them as well. But they they've done the hard bit and it's made it easier for us, you know, because we were born here and uh, we went to school here. So it was a completely different story for us altogether. I mean, I didn't suffer any racism or anything like that. I didn't feel uncomfortable growing up. off our quite normal and natural so it, it was no big story for us at all but i think that hardship uh, our parents went through 
What is the significance of um, curry houses in the British history, especially coming from Commonwealth countries? The curry industry is just absolutely massive in, in the UK and it's part of the history. I think food has brought everyone closer because it was like a way of introducing, like a way of introduction almost, introducing ourselves to the rest of the UK um, and to say this is what we are, this is who we are, this is our ident identity. So I think it's absolutely massive and it's very important that we that we sort of fight on as a restaurateur to, to keep it alive. We were talking to a guy outside and he was saying that a lot of the customers that come here are from English heritage. Why do you think that is? Um, that's because we've, when we started off 35 years ago, uh, all our customers were English and the Bolti was literally made for English people, for the Western palate. Back then, there was hardly any Asian customers because they were quite new and sort of developing themselves. And they didn't have the disposable income that English people had because English people were normally sort of both, you know, husband and wife working. But with, with the Asian sort of families, it was just the husband working. So there was, there was uh, less disposable income. Um, and obviously they were still developing themselves. A lot of their money would be sent back home as well to support extended family uh, and things like that. But now it's a different story, sort of th three generations on almost, where even Asian, even Asian customers are coming out and eating bolties. Um, so now our customer base is sort of 60% English and 40% Asian. And that's going to continue to grow because... The third generation now, they've got more disposable income. I want to talk about your thoughts of the Commonwealth. Do you feel like the Commonwealth has the same relevance it had, you know, some, some years ago? Do you feel like it has um, weight anymore? I don't know. It's a bit of a difficult one. But, uh, I, I mean, I don't disagree with the Commonwealth. I think, if anything, it's brought everyone together in one place. You know, it's brought us closer. It's made us understand each other. We're all sort of equal and we're all one. Do you feel like it's had any sort of negative impacts? No, I don't think so, no. Um, if anything, it's, it's, uh, it's been positive because it's brought people from all different parts of background together. We've learnt from each other and, and we continue to learn from each other. And when you say understand each other, what do you mean by that? Like understand each other's values, religion, beliefs... Um, that sort of thing. I mean, like we understand, um, you know, Christians celebrate Christmas. They understand we celebrate Eid and vice versa with other religions as well. In terms of the, obviously the Commonwealth Games are coming up uh, this year and obviously a lot of spotlight's going to be on Birmingham and I'm sure it's going to bring a lot of people into, into, for example, the Baltic Triangle to try different foods and to try, you know, just, just to delve into these different cultures. What significance do you think that has are you kind of excited for it yeah i mean it's been good been looking forward to it for a good few years now and uh, especially after covid uh, we need a bit of good news we need a bit of brightness um you know as as business people and i think it'll be really good um for people to sample um you know different types of cuisine in birmingham and that's absolutely massive and that's going to go down as history 
So what attracted families from Commonwealth countries to make the move to the UK? We asked Dr. Steve McCabe, a political economist at BCU, who specialises in the business, manufacturing and construction trade in the city. Steve McCabe sat with Nathan Clark and shared all about the evolving image of Birmingham as the second city from the past to the present day. Steve also anticipates whether perceptions of our city will shift again on the back of the Commonwealth Games. How do you think the Commonwealth has shaped the Birmingham we know today? I speak as the child of immigrants myself, um, even though I may not sound it and look it. My parents were sort of Irish immigrants in the 1950s. Now, of course, Ireland was part of, if you like, the Commonwealth um, you know, going back you know, 100 years ago. Um, but certainly when we sort of um, grew up in um, Sparkill, um, I recognised that sort of, we were part of um, um, you know, diaspora and there were many other communities coming in, particularly from the, sort of the, the West Indies and then from the, sort of the Asian subcontinent. So I, I grew up very comfortable with the, sort of the idea of sort of being part of a, um, a big mixture or a melting pot that Birmingham was. I'll be honest with you, I mean, the, the, the idea of the Commonwealth, it never really crossed my mind. It, that's just the way it was. Birmingham has become this this incredible place, full of these different communities who have always been attracted by the sort of the um, the hope and expectation, and in most cases the success of being able to sort of gain employment and to sort of to um, a better future for their sort of their you know their, themselves and of course their children. But undoubtedly, uh, I certainly know that in the sort of the community I came from and most others. Um, home for them was always you know, where they had come from. So in the sense, it was <laughs> there was always this, this view that they might eventually get back there. But Commonwealth, yeah, it, it was never discussed much in our house, that's for sure. <laughs> in your opinion, do we still need a Commonwealth? Is it still relevant uh, politically? I feel it's it's an anachronism, and of course we know that the Commonwealth was based upon its its um, you know, its roots in the sort of the um, you know, the slave trade and all sorts of things about sort of an empire in particular and all that went with it. It continues in the way that it does, I suspect, because of sort of the you know, the, the admiration for sort of the Queen. My point, quite precise, is I think that when the Queen moves on, whatever that may mean, but, but you can, um, you know, for, for somebody in their sort of their early 90s, um, that there will eventually be a change in our lifetime. It'd be amazing, actually. Um, I think, you know, if you look at the sort of number of people who've uh, alive today, you know, very few of them have seen a sort of change of monarchs. So that, that'll be a big sea change in a number of ways. And I suspect that that will be a point at which the sort of the, the relevance and the purpose of the Commonwealth is is looked at very seriously. So uh, we may see the sort of the beginning of the end. And as we know, many co- countries who were former Commonwealth uh, colonies, you know, because that's what they were, <laughs> they were conquered by and large, um, they may feel that it, it, it doesn't serve the purpose it once did for good or for, for um, not so good, as it were. Looking at the games... Do you think the people of Birmingham should be excited by the games? Do you see it bringing positives to the city? Perhaps, I, if I can draw my sort of um, experience from the sort of the uh, the Olympic Games, which of course were ten years ago this year in London, and I remember that it was a very slow burn, but all of a sudden it took off. But of course, it was very much a national event. Whether the Commonwealth Games brings out that level of incredible excitement, I'm I'm a bit sceptical because, of course, it won't get the same degree of um, television coverage as did the Olympic Games. Again, it's, it's nice to sort of see that Birmingham will be on the sort of the, you know, the international stage, albeit for sort of a few days. So I think it'll bring a level of excitement. But, but you know, with these things, you know, my experience is that, so that it comes very quickly and it dissipates very quickly. 
Looking at it from an economic perspective, you know, the games is going to cost a lot of money. We're talking hundreds of millions of pounds. Do you think this will be a good investment for the city? Well, I, I suspect if you asked the average person in the street and did a vox pop, they'd probably say no, um, particularly, of course, if they see their council tax rising in coming years. And games such as these, whether the Olympic Games or World Cup bids, um, Commonwealth Games are obviously sort of much smaller scale, and we've used a lot of existing um, stadia. Um, and, and so, so yeah, it, it's been economic, or that the costs have been sort of trimmed down as much as possible. But in terms of you right, it will cost money. They're always notorious for sort of for spe- costing a lot, and the sort of the economic return is highly debatable. And indeed, of course, there's often sort of loss over subsequent years. But, you know, I think the sort of the one thing that should be emphasised is that sort of Birmingham's had this this kind of curious tradition uh, um, of, you know, its economic sort of roots or in sort of manufacturing. It was seen up until, you know, fairly recent times as a sort of a, a, you know, a dirty manufacturing city, a sort of place to be avoided. Birmingham has obviously changed since, um, you know, the last few decades. And I think if if, if nothing, this this games will, will, or these games will bring attention to Birmingham as a sort of great place to go. So in that sense, it can be no bad thing. You know, I know for a fact that there are influential people coming from some of these countries, and they, these are always a good opportunity for sort of deals to be done. So, of course, the real difficulty is that there won't be perhaps an immediate sort of payoff, but undoubtedly if, if sort of new investment comes into Birmingham... Uh, that will create the sort of jobs of tomorrow, next year, maybe a couple of years down the line. So, you know, and these things, you know, that there's not an automatic connection. So sometimes you have to sort of spend a bit of money to sort of get something back. In particular, maybe an area like Perry Bar, which is set to be regenerated as part of the Games, would, will that bring economic benefits to its inhabitants, do you think? Well, Perry Bar, I mean, um, it's very close to my sort of um, my heart because, of course, you know, I spent the vast majority of my working life. I mean, I still work now, but, um, you know, I started working in Perry Bar believe it's not in 1987 so I, I knew that era really well and in, in t- to many um, or in many ways I saw the sort of the the gradual decline of Perry Bar in in many different ways and, and um, you know the, the, the loss of the sort of the university was I know a big blow to the sort of community because of course quite clearly many um, hundreds if not you know, a thousand people uh, and students coming in every day well, yeah, it, it, it produced its own sort of benefits so it's nice to see that sort of there's accommodation going up of course what Perry Bar really needs is of course the jobs that go with it um, you know, it's one thing to have sort of a place to live but people need sort of to earn so I hope that it, it does regenerate Perry Bar in a way which of course it it truly deserves. With the coming of the Games, it seems like a good time to maybe reflect on the UK's relationship with the wider Commonwealth. In your opinion, is it a healthy relationship or is it, are there divisions there? In any organisation, there are always going to be political divisions. And quite clearly, when we're talking about, you know, take a country like India, for instance. I mean, India, it's, it's one of the, the largest democracy in the world. You know, India's not without its own sort of problems. and, and um, But but there is this this very clear relationship. And, and as I say, particularly in terms of business, because, of course, one of the big local employers, Jaguar Land Rover, is Indian-owned. You know, that, that would have seemed inconceivable, certainly when I was growing up, because, of course, these are all local companies owned by, to a very large extent, local people. So we live in a sort of much more international world, but quite clearly then the fact is that there are tensions. You know, I, I think when you bring people together, if yeah, the hope is, of course, they see the sort of the the, the benefit of sort of cooperation and mutual sort of uh, trust and respect for one another. And, and, and if the Commonwealth does that, then of course it's no bad thing. But I also appreciate that so there are 
concerns and, dare I say, it, criticisms of the sort of the, um, uh, the roots of this organisation. <laughs> you know, going back a couple of hundred years, it would have been seen very differently. And uh, finally, what legacy do you think the games will leave on the city? I mean, quite clearly, um, we're not going to see any sort of particular activities in the city city centre. So it'll all be you know, down in, at the, you know, the um, uh, Alexander Stadium in Perry Bar. So I mean, that's been updated, which of course is it's a good thing. Uh, there's a new swimming pool in Sandwell. <laughs> How many people actually get to use the sort of the pool? I do not know. I mean, again, looking at the sort of the Olympics, of course, there was a massive stadium built, which of course is now used by a football club. That won't happen, thankfully, on this occasion. Um, and because, of course, the sort of the costs have been trimmed as much as possible, then, of course, um, yeah, as I say, we're not having sort of you know, white elephants being built all over the place, which, of course, might be the criticism of, you know, of what happened elsewhere. Um, and indeed, if you go to the sort of likes of Greece, I believe, that sort of, and, and also Beijing, some of the state have just not been used. So, so perhaps we, we, we don't have that level of redundancy. Um, I mean, okay, so Perry Bar is, is being smartened up. There is that, that's a good thing. Um, and, of course, there's this new accommodation, which, of course, was originally meant to be for the sort of the, um, the, the athletes competing. But undoubtedly, it, it, it helps. Whether, you know, if, if I was to sort of turn the question around, whether people will be talking about the sort of the Commonwealth Games this time next year, I somehow doubt it. I, 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 I think people will see it for what it is. It will be a sort of a, a you know, albeit sort of a, you know, almost two-week event. There'll be a lot of activity and the, the city will be very busy and there'll be a lot of attention. And then the sort of the media circus will move on as, as is always uh, inevitable. Um, yeah, but I hope that sort of some good does come out of it. And, you know, as I said a couple of moments ago, I hope that some sort of really good investment comes out of it and helps to sort of to, you know, assist in Boeing's transition from the sort of the, the manufacturing city it once was. And of course, we know that, that there are good reasons why that altered. Um, and there are plenty of really good, high quality jobs um, for the sort of the next generation. While some remain sceptical about the enduring legacy the games will leave in Birmingham, there's one man who knows firsthand how sport has the power to change lives. Jeff Thompson is a five-time karate world champion. He is also the founder and chair of the Youth Charter, a charity that uses sport to tackle the problems of educational non-attainment, health inequality, antisocial behaviour and crime in some of the most troubled areas around the world. As Deputy Chair of the Birmingham 2022 Games, he is passionate about using the Commonwealth Games to make Birmingham a better place. Firstly, if you wouldn't mind taking a trip down memory lane, <laughs> would you mind telling me a bit about your upbringing in Wolverhampton? Wolvertonian, which I'm told is an identity you don't band around too much in Birmingham, but nonetheless, um, the product of a migrating mother and father from the Caribbean. My father, Stanley Beresford Thompson, fought in the Second World War, migrated to Wolverhampton. My mother left Guyana as a young 20-year-old, aspiring to be a nurse. They met in Wolverhampton. I became the product of their union. Pretty interesting childhood. Um, father died um, tragically when I was seven. And my mother, as a young widow, moved to the east end of London, where I had what people call the two proverbial chips on my shoulder, the colour of my skin and my accent. My accent, I learned to get rid of very quickly, because dandelion wasn't exactly what you said in the east end of London. I learned to adapt very quickly to my environment. The colour of my skin, I decided to keep. Growing up, what did the Commonwealth mean to you? Did it have any particular relevance? Yes, it did, because um, the Commonwealth was very much what unified what was 
post-empire to something that was truly democratic, with each Commonwealth nation having an equal say at the table. That appealed to me, and obviously my mother, as a citizen of the Commonwealth, referred to it and reflected upon it by way of her presence here and the reason that she was here. You know, she tells a, a very vivid story of being inspired by what clearly would have been then the British government's visits to the Caribbean nations, um, expounding the virtues of, you know, contributing to the mother country and in helping to build Britain back from a post-Second World War um, legacy of conflict. So, um, no, I, I was very aware of the Commonwealth from a very young age. And you also took up karate at a young age. What made you start and what made you fall in love with it? Um, the love affair um, came out of a mental, physical and emotional need. Um, the East End of London had its postcodes, had its rivalry. An all-boys school isn't always the best um, environment for the alpha male behaviours. Um, a great believer in co-education. We spent too much time bunking off to go to the all-girls school, so why not have us on the same site as we in this wonderful campus and learn behavioural respectful personalities and relationships. I was also an entrepreneur. I sold West Indian patties. One of the consequences of my mother giving me the choice that I realized then was a life-changing choice of going with Bernardo's, who were making significant efforts to persuade her that my, her, myself and my sister should be in the care system. But if I came with her, I joined um, Vice Cooperative. So West Indian patties were sold at Brookhouse Secondary. Alan Sugar sold in, the, in that environment, but not as well as I did um, take from it whatever you will. So my life apprenticeship was as an entrepreneur and um, I needed to protect my stock as well as the national front. So there were three motivating factors, but the Michael Solbell Sports Centre in Finsbury Park, again, a unique partnership, Variety Club, Michael Solbell, the philanthropist, and Islington Council opened a fantastic leisure facility. I walked in one evening and David Emery, the Olympic gold medalist from Mexico, was the manager. There was some inspiration there as an after-school activity. And I discovered a curriculum for life and the love affair began then. And how did it transform from something which you took up initially to defend yourself into something which would eventually become a career and something which brought you great success? I think primarily because whilst my mother's tough love was, and she, she was very strict and firm with us, I think reflecting the status that she had and that I had, I was pretty angry. I reflect upon now losing my father, being relocated from an environment that I considered to be safe and tranquil to an uncertain environment that created anxiety and I think nervousness on a daily basis. Karate was my own self-discipline. I learned a new culture. I was inducted into a network and community of relationships. And, you know, the late Professor Tatsao Suzuki saw the potential in me, Mr. Kobayashi, Jamal El Homsi, a whole culture and community of individuals that through this common interest saw my potential and I was completely immersed and completely seduced by it. Could you take me back to the 1982 Karate World Championships? You helped Great Britain win the team Kamite title. How did that feel? Um, I've always said the ultimate high beyond an adrenaline rush is to win gold and then win it in a, a unique way, a historic way. Double gold had not been achieved by way of British Karate and World Championships previously. Eugene Codrington, the generation that I inherited by way of moving on and learning from being inspired by Birmingham-based, had achieved gold in 75 in the team and silver in the individual. I always saw that as a goal. I think it's really important for young people to have goals. It was a goal I set myself. And um, as I've said, 
The team gold was the Blue Ribbon event. It was British karate at its best, as we see with British teams that represent. There was something unique about it. And um, winning gold 24 hours later was as good as it gets and still gives me goosebumps to talk about it now. And since retiring from the sport, you set up the Youth Charter for Sport. Could you tell me a bit about what the charity sets out to do? Technically, not retired. I um, resurfaced in 2019 for the issues on the streets that I've come from, fight for the streets. That saw me go back into competition after about 30-odd-plus years. That was interesting. Learned that the rules had changed, the culture had changed, but the commitment was still required. And then announced my intention to go to Tokyo. It's another interview for another story, but let's just say the barriers that prevented me were not what I expected. So I expected to be assessed on my ability and my potential to win medals, as well as then highlight the issues of the streets I've come from. I believe the martial arts are a wonderful life curriculum. They allow you to channel aggression and to be able to manage the life pressures in a curriculum structured way that can lead to tools, skills, and abilities to manage the challenges of life and turn them into opportunity. So the Youth Charter was born out of my journey following the 80s, the riots, my then medals having some currency, albeit as an ethnic minority from a minority sport, I didn't quite enjoy the labels. I met the then Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher, and I convinced that I was a product of sport for all, like so many in the 80s who looked like me and came from those disaffected and disadvantaged backgrounds to represent and distinguish themselves for Britain. It then saw me publicly appointed to the then GB Sports Council, Sport for All, which I was a product of, and then culminated me in serving in a number of roles in sports administration. On my way to Hollywood, but ended up in Manchester, we worked that one out. And Manchester's Olympic bid, second Olympic for 2000, and on January the 3rd, 1993, a 14-year-old schoolboy shot dead on the streets of Mossside. His name was Benji Stanley, and I'll never forget it. I was part of Live Aid in 1985. I sort of yelled off to it with the F word and the arts. I launched a youth charter and did it with sport and said, please. And come March 23rd, 29 years on, what I thought was a short-term responsibility has become a life work. Why did you think this was such an important cause to pursue? Because I realised that in the 90s, that the young people from the communities I'd come from had not had the life chances that I'd had. I had sport and the arts almost as a fundamental given. I was able to walk into a community of facilities and I was able to be given the additional relationship development of my own mental, physical, and emotional health and well-being. And that safeguarded me, it gave me emotional armor. It was clear what I'd seen in the States, travel had clearly broadened my mind, exposed me to a number of things, a number of situations, cultures and circumstances. Um, the gang culture, in the States, I can honestly say to it was never something I thought. I knew that gangs existed, but not on the level of violence and the, the young age by which we would see young lives lost and young lives taken. So I saw sport and the arts as a vaccine and an antidote and the youth charter then on the basis of the games and with the failed 2000 um, games bid, the successful Commonwealth Games 2002 is where the youth charter started to evolve as part of the youth culture program and then as a charity in 1995. Looking forward to the Commonwealth Games this year, what positives do you see it bringing to Birmingham and its communities? Every positive. I still retain an eternal optimism in the indomitable human spirit. I think these Commonwealth Games will be the most important Commonwealth Games of late because of the extraordinary circumstances of the last two years and where we are 
as a global community as a result. Birmingham is the Commonwealth. It has every Commonwealth nation represented in this city. It's a fantastic city with a fantastic heritage. But some of the challenges of 21st century living are clearly evident in, in this city as other major cities. And I think since George Floyd and all that has happened globally, there's a chance for a reset of relationships. I think that the games can provide that. And that's why I agreed to become an independent deputy chair when asked to. On the topic of diversity, Birmingham in 2022 faced quite a lot of criticism for a lack of diversity on the organising committee. And you were quite outspoken of the need for this to be a diverse and inclusive Games. How do you set out to achieve that goal? I think the criticism at the time were merited. I don't think that's the case now. And diversity is not just by way of complexion. It's cognitive diversity, leadership diversity, strategic diversity, and programme project advocacy of diversity. I think I would ask anybody on the basis of the last two years to have delivered a major games from a hybrid standpoint. So major challenge, a major opportunity is the fact that we have a diverse city. We, and this is something I see beyond Birmingham, within the rest of the country and within the Commonwealth. That's why these games are so important. But the diversity is reflected in all of the efforts being made. Um, the community... I always challenge the community, they must embrace the games, they must come up with the innovation, the creativity, and make use of those games. And let's see what this legacy opportunity for all looks like, because I genuinely believe it's achievable. I believe the opportunities that we face, by where the challenges that we want to address can be realised. And I think it's, it's, it's a games that everybody can embrace, and everybody can take something from it to help give a levelling up, whether we want to look at building back our society, but our communities, the role of our young people, my specific declared invested interest. This has to be an opportunity for all. With Birmingham being such a diverse and multicultural city, it seems with the coming of the Games a good time to reflect on the UK's relationship with the Commonwealth. In your opinion, is it a healthy relationship or are there divisions? I think if we look at the world <laughs> in its true geopolitical sense, I think there are a number of people challenging and questioning the, the role and significance of the Commonwealth. The Queen, Her Majesty the Queen, has been a symbol of the Commonwealth. We know it is dear to her heart. She ascended the throne whilst in Africa. And the, the games were always something I looked forward to, you know, as something you watched because it didn't have the real extreme pressure. There was something more about the games. It was about more than just the winning, although it was an Olympic ideology. It's not about the winning, it's just about the taking part. I believe the Commonwealth Games does that and achieve that. And I think the Commonwealth Games is what really unifies everybody. We know that Commonwealth Heads of Government is the more policy and political side of things. And we know that's been delayed because of COVID, but it will be happening, I'm told, in Rwanda. And um, Rwanda joining the Commonwealth. Yes, Barbados become a republic. But I think this is all part of an e evolutionary growth. And I believe that the Commonwealth will get a reset. And the Commonwealth Games Federation, Dame Louise Martin as president, new CEO, just, I think, a great opportunity to give the Commonwealth 1.3 billion citizens. I think something that reflects our past and acknowledging our past and allowing us to be able to use these games. You know, I genuinely believe in having helped inspire sport for development, for peace. I think we have to be that presence. We have to be that unifying diversity of purpose and of, I think, common aims that would see the Commonwealth play its part in the wider global community sense. I'm interested to hear you talk about 
acknowledge in the past, a lot of people would say that the Commonwealth has a very dark history that's linked to empire and legacies of colonialism. And some would argue that it's maybe inappropriate for it to be celebrated in the forms of the Commonwealth Games. Do you think the people of Birmingham should be excited for the Commonwealth Games? We cannot change the past, but we can learn from the past. We can improve from the past. Um, as I made reference, my, my mother came here thinking she'd be here for three years. She's now 92. She lives in Hackney. And I question, and as I say to her, do you feel your life was fulfilled? Then I, I refer to her three children, her grandchildren, her great-grandchildren. And yes, to, I intend to bring her to Birmingham. I remember bringing me, taking me from Wolverhampton through the ball ring to go to London. I thought it was Disney. You know, it's, it is about still giving people hope and opportunity. And yes, there is a past, but I'm interested in the present. We learn from the past to address the issues of the day and improve the future. We work as a species on cycles of having to revisit, as long as we don't dwell on it, but certainly recognize it. And anyone who wouldn't acknowledge what I know my appearance as so many others, the Windrush generation, what they represented and they inspired. Yes, there is slavery reparation, there's Windrush reparation, but all of that can be given a democratic airing within the confines of a unifying festival such as Birmingham 2022. So there, there are many critics, but um, if there weren't, there'd be something wrong. And if that wasn't the challenge to overcome as a result of these games in a city like Birmingham, I'd be surprised. As we know, the Commonwealth, the world lives in Birmingham. When Birmingham and Ian Ward, as the leader of the council, made the bold move to take the games on, because we know that Durban, South Africa, were very much the original hosts. I've been in South Africa post-apartheid, as part of the late, late President Mandela's dream and vision of sport, helping to build bridges. So that's where my learning has come from, my edification that suggested once Birmingham took this challenge on, for me, having had Manchester 2002, Glasgow 2014, and now Birmingham in 2022, this had to be the opportunity of reset, especially in light of where we are now, Britain's new trade relationships post-Brexit. You know, I mean, currently in the World Expo in Dubai, I know there's a delegation out there. This is all part of creating a social, culture, and economic opportunity for Birmingham cities, I'd, I'd argue for other cities in the UK and the Commonwealth. What legacy do you hope the Games will leave on the city? I would like to see a legacy where every citizen will be able to remember a magic moment, a magic time, or a performance, or an act of kindness, or an act of Birmingham's big personality leaving a mark on the Commonwealth who are visiting and the rest of the world will be watching Birmingham. For young people, I'd like to think there's hope and opportunity. Um, my life's work has been young people. If they don't have that as a fundamental human right, I think we see the impact of that on our streets. And I always remind people that um, if every life is so priceless and invaluable, how can we not ensure that the legacy pledges are there? Skills, jobs, apprenticeships, entrepreneurship, sporting, cultural, artistic, and socioeconomic impact. There's a lot there to look forward to, but I would again suggest to many who would still be waiting for something to happen, embrace the games, make something happen, and take ownership for the, from this fantastic opportunity. Birmingham is now a melting pot of cultures. As Jeff Thompson describes, the world lives in Birmingham. Many who migrated to the UK only planned to visit for a short period of time, but many also stayed and have since built families 
businesses and communities within cities such as Birmingham, resulting in the rich cultural tapestry that we see today. And whilst there are questions around how the games will shape the Birmingham of tomorrow, there is some hope that the coming together of communities and celebration in the name of sport will offer an opportunity to acknowledge the Commonwealth's dark past, to learn from the past, and then reset and improve from the past. Commonwealth Stories is a laudable production, brought to you by Birmingham Live. The Commonwealth Stories podcast is available on all your favourite platforms. To keep up to date with the series and hear the latest episodes, make sure to follow and subscribe. To find out more about the upcoming Commonwealth Games and to discover more about the guests who are featured on this episode, make sure to head over to the Birmingham Live website. This is Commonwealth Stories by Birmingham Live. Live.